Hi, I'm your host, Dave Kemp, and this is Future Ear Radio. Each episode, we're breaking down one new thing, one cool new finding that's happening in the world of hearables, the world of voice technology. How are these worlds starting to intersect? How are these worlds starting to collide? What cool things are going to come from this intersection of technology? Without further ado, let's get on with the show. All right, so we have an awesome episode here on the Future Ear Radio podcast today. I am joined by Dr. Michelle Hu. You might know her uh, through her persona, Mama Who Hears. So Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, maybe share a little bit about who you are and what you do. Thank you, Dave, so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, Yeah, I've been a pediatric audiologist for over 12 years now in San Diego, California. Um, I'm a mama of three children now. I'm a military spouse, and um, I happen to be hard of hearing. I was identified when I was a toddler, wore hearing aids throughout my life, and I'm now a cochlear implant recipient. And um, I started my Instagram, Mama Who Hears, on uh, during maternity leave when I missed connection, connecting with my patients and just thinking about them because they often ask me questions. You know, Michelle, how do you wake up at night to hear the baby cry? Do you wear your hearing devices, or what do you do? What do, what technology do you use, or what tips and tricks or life hacks do you use? So that kind of happened. And here we are two years later, um, I've created an online course for parents and uh, I get to do podcasts with cool people like you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I appreciate the compliment and uh, it really is so cool to have you on. And uh, I highly, highly encourage everybody who's listening to check out her Instagram page, Mama Who Hears. Um, You know, when I was looking through it, I was just really blown away. Um, and, And I guess I should take a First, I should take a step back and just say, you're actually the first person I've had on the podcast, as far as I know, that is a cochlear um, implant recipient. Um, I had Matt Hay on before, and I know he has a, a different brain stem implant that's a little bit of a different beast, but um, I just wanted to kind of like really acknowledge that and, and talk through that a little bit, because what I really took away from your Instagram when I went on there is like, it's not only really helpful, I would imagine for fellow cochlear implant wearers or people that are prospective um, implant recipients, but also the community around it. Like I thought that it was really cool that you had a lot of tips on there of like, as somebody that has like, quote unquote, normal hearing, like how can I be a better ally to the people with hard of hearing um, or or, or suffering um, around me? And I think that like audiologists in particular, could really gather some interesting insights that they could then use their own spin on it or whatever, but, but take a lot of this and, and make it part of their whole positioning around um, particularly the higher levels of severity of hearing loss and those tips and strategies and coping mechanisms. It's totally the adage of like, if one person has a question, everybody has it. And I was on your page for like, 30 minutes just scrolling and, and everything was just like, wow, that's really smart. That's great. Like, is that something that is widely communicated to the patient base by the hearing professional? So I just wanted to give you ample opportunity today to really kind of like go in on, you know, how, how mama who hears came to be, you just briefly touched upon it, but like your own journey of, you said you were diagnosed at two what was, you know, that, that period of your life leading into the cochlear implant. And then I've, you know, kind of through my own research and and discussing with many people, it's a pretty 
I guess like a shocking period right when you're out of that, like right after you get it. And I'd be really curious to hear about the acclimation period of getting used to it. And um, so any and all of that, I would just be really curious to to kind of just dive in and, and hear all about how your brand and, and your story came to be. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, I, I think that being deaf and hard of hearing is it's a lifelong journey, whether or not they choose to use hearing amplification or not, if they choose to use ASL primarily and, you know, stay within uh, deaf culture, deaf community, it's a lifelong thing. Um, and when it's a situation like that, you really want a village around you, whether it's your hearing healthcare professionals, whether it's your cultural community, whether you know it's your family, what can they take on life lifestyle-wise? Closed captioning on the TV at, in uh, or movies in the theater, um, or you know becoming close and trusting, finding an audiologist that you trust, finding um, a deaf mentor that you feel comfortable with, finding a speech language pathologist that you feel comfortable with and can grow with. Um, so it's really a journey. It's a lifelong thing, and it's so unique for everyone. Um, you know, I created my program, yes, because, you know, I am or I have found success in dealing with um, or living my life powerfully in the face of being deaf or hard of hearing. But, um, you know, I don't push the way that I did things on anybody. There's each family, each patient, each child is unique. And I don't know their dynamics. But what I do know is, shifting your your mindset, how to come together, what conversations that are important to have with your child or with your co-parent or with your partner. Um, And I, yeah, I was diagnosed very, very young. I'm 39 now. And I'm just taking all of those experiences, both both personal and professional, and I'm putting it out there because I think that you know, we learned something today about Zoom with closed captioning. Um, yeah. <laughs> I requested it from you. You were like, oh, of course, like we need that. And um, I found myself actually saying, hey, if you can't figure it out, no worries. I have a backup plan. I'll use webcaptioner.com. And what I really appreciate it and respect about you is you're like, nope, let me figure this out. It'll take a few minutes. It took a few tries, but here we are. Now you know how to turn it on. Now I know that... Um, I'm not, I don't have to bend over backwards for the hearing community to accommodate for you guys. And I just really appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you saying that. And um, yeah, I mean, like she said, I um, was struggling. I thought that I knew where the closed captioning, the live captioning link was within Zoom. Um, It turns out I know where it is on Microsoft Teams and within uh, Google Meet, but I couldn't figure it out on Zoom. And you actually have to log in to the web browser and it's in the advanced settings and all that. But I do think that like your broader point there um, speaks to something that I'm trying to be really cognizant of, which is how can I be better about um, being this all being really top of mind, like understanding that in a Zoom dominated world that we live in now, um, that like what is maybe out of sight, out of mind for me is really important to folks like you. And and so just being respectful of that and having that be something that we're all a little bit more aware of, I think goes a really, really long way. And that's a perfect segue into, um, you know, kind of this whole theme of like, that's 
part of the audiologist value today. And I think is going to be even more pronounced into the future is like this whole idea of, um, you know, I know that I've heard and I've seen in some of these different message boards and stuff, like I'm not tech support. Like I'll hear, um, you know, different audiologists and hearing professionals say stuff like that. And I really empathize with that, but I think that it needs to be acknowledged that like, if not you, then, then who is going to be the one that really helps to create this like optimal setup for your patients. And, and it could be things like, you know, here's a, um, a printout laminated card that shows you, you know, here is how you can go about enabling captions and all these different things and making it so that it's really easily shareable so that you can, your patients can send it to their employer. They can send it to all these different people. I mean, I, I think it's just being one thought ahead and saying, what are the ways that my patients might encounter difficulty on a, on a regular basis? And how can I help to sort of cut that off at the pass and, and enable them in such a way by championing them in, in, in these various ways about, like I said, in these new environments that we're always engaged in like zoom so that they have a good optimal experience as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think experience is the best teacher. Like now, you know, where not to go, where exactly where to point somebody um, as well as for our hearing healthcare professionals. Um, a lot of times, you know, I've been with patients and they're just like, you get it. You know exactly what that sound is or that feeling or that frustration. And they really appreciate being with an audiologist that has been there or has been in some type of similar situation. I'm stepping into being that segue or being that translator for my fellow professionals, but also for my fellow deaf and hard of hearing community members. And if there's anything that I can do, I'll put it out there. I want us all to win and um, so that we can just grow stronger and, and really empower more within the deaf and hard of hearing community to maybe uh, specifically address certain things or give them words to explain it a little bit better or give the audiologists or hearing healthcare professionals better language or tools to understand the patients that they're serving if they don't have a hearing loss, if they haven't lived through it before. So let's talk a little bit about the, the book that you wrote. Um, I'd be really curious about the motivation behind it. I mean, obviously this is, I love that. My child has hearing loss. Now what? Um, So obviously there's a lot of your own personal story in there. I would imagine a lot of your own experience, but kind of walk us through um, how this whole thing came to be. Was this another maternity project? And (laughs) was this something, (laughs) (laughs) and, and was this something that, um, you know, I guess is, is the main, it seems as if the main takeaway here is really to just impart some of your own wisdom and experience onto others, but uh, just share with us kind of the whole backstory behind this, this uh, guidebook. Yeah. So uh, listen with Lindsay actually inspired me to start my Instagram. She gave me confidence and a couple of my friends also were saying, you have so much to share Um, here. I thought I, I would just run out of topics to talk about, but I decided to do Instagram for a year, and if I still enjoyed it, I would see what I could create and put out there to help 
my audience from thousands of parents were asking me questions and they're all questions that I had received in the clinic. But I have three kids at home now who's like, how can I give them what's in my brain without mm-hmm. having to physically be with these patients? Because I can only see, you know, between eight to 12 patients max a day. How yeah. can I do something? I decided to come up with this video online program. It's got eight modules that addresses, you know, um, what the emotions and surrounding an identification or diagnosis of hearing loss. What types of testing do we do in audiology? How can you prepare for those? Um, what can you? What are some of the options available out there in terms of communication or amplification? If you want to go down that route, what do I do when my child gets to school age? How to take care of the caretaker and how to? Um, this is my favorite part is um, create advocacy and teach advocacy within your children. And it was initially targeted towards the parents of deaf and hard of hearing children, but I branched out. Students, graduate students were reaching out to me. So, you know, schools are looking at incorporating it into their curriculum, which is fantastic because if we can start at the root, if we can start with the parents, but if we can also start while we're training those hearing healthcare professionals and give them insight into I'm just one person who is deaf and hard of hearing that happens to be a hearing healthcare professional. There are a few of us, few of us, not that many, but more audiologists, speech language pathologists, they need to get into our shoes and kind of see where we're coming from. Um, So we're starting with the grad school level, we're partnering with some nonprofits, and I've also um, found out you can use in uh, ASHA uh, conversion form so that if you purchase the program, you can actually get eight hours of continuing education. Um, So win-win, right? You get trained or you get to learn about my perspective and um, how I practice with pediatrics and families, um, and also like my most favorite part of the program is I have 13 bonus interviews, one of which is my mom. And because there was somebody filming, there was that third party that was addressing questions and she was explaining to the camera, the emotions, the thoughts, all of those things that were going through my mom's mind 36 years ago. Yeah, I started crying because I didn't know a few things. And, you know, she thought it was her fault. She she thought she did something um, while she was pregnant. And as a parent now, my heart just breaks because I get it. Of course, I don't want my children to um, suffer or go through challenges more than they need to. But it shifted my mindset because for me, it never really occurred to me as a problem. I think it's much, much harder to acquire a hearing loss than to grow up with one. I didn't really know better at that young age. Um, and, you know, something that for me was just, it's just so, this is my life and my life is pretty damn good. I think, you know, uh, uh, it helped my mom move on. Like, oh, okay, you know, she's going to be totally fine. Look what she's created out of this and look um, how she's paying it forward. So I also interview a deaf mom of a hearing and a deaf child. I interview a hearing mom of two deaf children. I interview professionals such as ENT, SLP, AVT, um, a deaf mom of three deaf children or an entire deaf family. 
Um, and I also interview a marriage family therapist. So, and we talk about who is a parent of a deaf child. Um, and she helps give strategies of, you know, the conversations that families should have around being deaf or being a deaf and hard of hearing family, because you're not just a family with a deaf and hard of hearing person. You become a deaf and hard of hearing family, a team or a village around that person. And, um, you do, um, do need to make a few lifestyle changes for everybody to win. Um, I think all of that is so important for families, for children, for uh, peer adults with uh, who are hard of hearing and as well as the professionals because we are that village and we can all win. That's amazing. I'm I'm just blown away by the amount of diversity that you have in this in terms of all the different interviews. And I can imagine how emotional that uh, portion with your mom must have been. And, and I think that's really cool that like, things have come full circle for you, you know, that you're a mom now. Um, and, and so you can really see maybe her perspective a little bit. Um, so you mentioned that you have thousands of, of parents reaching out to you or thousands of people reaching out to you on Instagram. And uh, what an awesome thing that you've done with launching that, because I think that it, it's another one of these things that like, we need to be more aware of within this industry of if you get diagnosed, or I guess like in this instance, if your child gets diagnosed with hearing loss, where do you turn? Um, and in this information age that we we live in, people want to be able to turn to a quick Google search, a quick Instagram search, you know? Mm -hmm. And so of course, like having folks like you be one of the first thing that pops up and you be this just wealth of information, that has to be really gratifying for you because much has been the theme on this podcast. Like, I think that one of the most exciting things about this age that we live in is that you can have such an outsized impact relative to previous generations because of the internet. Mm -hmm. um, and so you had said you see eight to 12 patients in person a day, but you're essentially seeing thousands of people every single day with your, the resources that you've created. Mm -hmm. So what have been kind of like the some of the broad strokes of the things that like the kinds of messages that you receive, some of the um, frequently asked questions, you know, I'm just really curious to kind of get a peek behind your Instagram DM messages and just kind of get a sense of like, what, what are the kinds of things that people are coming to you for? Yeah. Um, gosh, parents have reached out and said, Oh my goodness, you know, this one breaks my heart, but you know, my child can have a normal life. Um, one of the most profound conversations I had was with a um, mom in the clinic who asked me if I had a boyfriend or if I was engaged. And when I told her yes, she started crying and she actually said, that means my child, someone will love my child. And I was, you know, just taken aback because that had never occurred to me. Of course, I, you know, when I was little, I thought I was going to grow up and marry my dad. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I found the perfect person because I came into my own. And um, I had been practicing as a professional, keeping my patients kind of at an arm's length um, because of HIPAA. But what I found through Instagram, I actually transformed quite a bit myself, my ideas and, and stories that I had um, uh, created in my brain. But, you know, parents are asking me, you know, I already mentioned, how do you wake up at nighttime? Um, they asked me, how do you, how do you, under, do you understand your children okay? 
you know, their voices are so small. And for that reason, and for fun, I started, you know, learning American Sign Language with my children, just, you know, just casually at the library, library times, but my children love it. All of my children are hearing. Um, and they just have fun signing to me, especially when their mouths are full. You know, haha, I can't talk to you, mom, but I can use my hands. Um, they ask me, uh, how do you hear your children in the car? What did you do in school? Did you use an FM system? What kind of language or dialogue should I be engaging my children in? How do I get them to be assertive? How do I get them to do a show and tell with their hearing devices? Um, where do you find ASL classes? Where can you um, where can you find a deaf community? What kind of services are there out there? Because they don't know where to start. Google is just can be so overwhelming and there's amazing resources out there and some not so amazing ones. I just took whatever I've been learned, lear accumulating through my life as, uh, as a deaf and hard of hearing child, a student, an adult, now a mom, and then as a professional, and I've put it all into one spot. Um, and I'm also available through DM. I feel like Instagram gives those users a chance to really connect with somebody real on the other end. Um, I've had parents ask me, oh no, this is broken, what do I do? And I'm able to show them pretty quickly or tell them if I um, am able to get, to get to that DM. I've had, um, I've had parents ask me, why do you utilize ear molds if you're using a cochlear implant? Does any sound go in there? No, I personally use it for retention. Okay, how do I set it up? What do I ask my audiologist to do? So I give them the language. I give yeah. them, you know, stories. I give them experiences. And from that, they take what works for their life. And it's, it's fantastic. It's, it's really great to be able to um, connect with them. Because like I said, I used to keep my patients at an arm's length. Well, now I get to be a part of the community that I'm, you know, of the community that I'm serving without any, um, uh, with my chosen boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. And again, I think it's just so cool that, uh, folks like you have really, I think you you've set a blueprint of what I think a lot of hearing professionals could do. You're unique in that you do have hearing loss and that you're a cochlear implant wearer. And so, um, you have the empathy angle, if you will, or, you know, you have the actual experience, but I think that there's such an opportunity for the profession, broadly speaking, to serve as more of a resource that is maybe a little bit more accessible and available for a lot of these things that are probably single questions, just kind of like point me in the right direction and help me to even figure out where to start, where to begin. Um, so I think that you're way ahead of the curve. And, and again, shout out to uh, Listen with Lindsay, because I know that she's popped up a number of times throughout my podcast as another person that's just really blazing a trail with how to use um, social media as a hearing healthcare professional. Um, and I, I just think it's really cool to be meeting all these people that are using it in such an effective way. Um, we hear all the time, all of the downsides to social media, but I think that there's tremendous upside, um, so long as it's used in a, mm -hmm. a healthy way, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to acknowledge that and say that's really cool. Um, so I'd be curious to go back to the cochlear implant. Um, like I said, you're the first person I've had on the podcast that wears a cochlear implant. So can you walk me through um, the time leading up into it? What ultimately was the, the catalyst to getting one? Um, and then sort of like 
life after the cochlear implant and what it's like now? Yeah. Um, so my hearing loss is as a result of Pendred syndrome or and enlarged vestibular aqueduct. So probably every two years I would bump my head and my hearing loss would get worse. My hearing aids would get need to be reprogrammed or I would have to get bigger, stronger ones. Um, by the age of 10, I had severe to profound hearing loss bilaterally. And my I think at that I at that point I was a cochlear implant candidate. My parents, however, weren't ready for technology and I was doing so well in school. Well, I use a duck analogy. You're paddling furiously under the water just to appear calm, cool, and collected. And they didn't know that. Um, or maybe they did, and but they thought I was doing okay. Um, when I was a senior in college, I had another drop in hearing and I was like, okay, I don't know what I want to do. I need to get a cochlear implant um, uh, or some kind of surgery. I didn't really know what it was yet, um, but I decided to go into audiology school. And it was third year when I'm learning about the ins and outs of how cochlear implants work. And I told my dad, I was like, this is what I'm learning about. Do you, did you know about this technology? He was like, yeah, we knew about it. We've known about it since you were 10. Here I am, <laughs> like 20, what, 25, 26 or 27. And um, I was just blown away by this and I saw it as an opportunity. My dad said, well, you're going to be um, under our insurance until you're 26. Oh, so I was probably 24. Um, you want to try it? You don't have that much to lose. How about let's do your left ear, which is your my worst ear. Like I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to tell you if my battery died for my left hearing aid. Um, I decided to do it. Uh, interestingly enough, I watched a surgery in Cleveland, Ohio, before getting my own, which probably wasn't the best idea. Uh, and then I got my second cochlear implant three years later. Um, but it was such a interesting moment because I didn't know what I had been missing. I remember my classmate activated me um, with our preceptor and I was like, hey, I know you don't typically do this, but can we jump in the booth and see what, see what I can hear? I could hear all these different sounds, but I didn't know what they were. I heard my feet shuffling and I pushed the button. I pushed the button and I thought that was the beeping. So I pushed the button again. And he's like, oh, you're, you're false positive. You know, it, you're, what you're hearing is that clicking. Um, I would sit outside on my front step. I grew up in Kent, Ohio. I was just listening to all the sounds, the bugs, the cars, you know, frogs croaking in the pond next door, um, wind rustling in the trees, and it was all the same volume for me. If my mom was talking while the printer was going off, it was the same volume and I couldn't tell the difference. So I had to relearn how to focus my hearing attention. Um, and that was pretty difficult. It took me a few months for my ear to really start to understand speech and get clear on it. And I went back to speech therapy and um, really ha having somebody else kind of coach me and train me through that really helped significantly. Um, but I had access to so much. I never would have moved from Ohio to California on my own if I hadn't gotten cochlear implants because I didn't feel confident or safe. Before cochlear implants, I only talked on the phone with my mom and on an as need basis. Now I'm talking with you, I'm talking, you know, on the phone with manufacturers, with parents, and um, 
I mean, safety, I wouldn't have heard somebody running behind me in a, in a parking garage. Whereas now I can hear my dog's nails on the floor, clock <laughs> ticking, um, somebody breathing heavy. And it's a cool, it's really cool that I have a choice to choose what I want to hear. That makes sense. And I tell patients all the time, you're not disabled. You're just differently abled. You see life and you experience life in a different way. Um, and everybody's journey is different. Someone might, you know, uh, acclimate to a cochlear implant instantly and other people might take a little bit longer, need to go do more therapy or, you know, take off one, one side to hone in on that, uh, to strengthen that other side. Um, so it, it was definitely one of the, well, probably one of my most favorite choices to do so. Uh, but not everybody is a cochlear implant candidate and not everybody wants to. And, you know, coming to thinking about it, take, making this, this, the decision on your own or as a family is really important in that um, processing together of it. So what would you say to people that are either themselves on the fence or audiologists that are they have a candidate? Um what are some of the trepidations that you might have? Um, and then from your own experience, what would you say to folks that are candidates, but they're just, they're not really fully there yet. And it sounds like a lot of this is you have to come to this on your own terms and your own conclusion and all that, but share with us what you would say to these kinds of individuals. My best tactic as a human, as an audiologist, as a parent, is meeting that person where they're at, justifying and validating their fears, their concerns, their emotions. So, you know, I get it. You want to hear better. You want to hear in um, noisy situations or group conversations, but you're afraid of surgery. Okay, surgery can absolutely be scary. Yes, surgery does have its risks, you know, but put them on the table, which one outweighs the other and go with that choice. You know, uh, when feelings and emotions and uh, doubts aren't validated, more often than not, they're going to feel forced into a decision or they'll just say no altogether. And then there's no opportunity in that. I would rather have opportunities to say no to than have no opportunities at all. All of the doors are closed. So I tell patients, I tell people, sit with it, figure out what it is that you want and figure out what it is that would stop you from saying yes to a certain opportunity and go from there. And usually um, the processing is all they need to um, help them get to their decision. So in your field of work, I know you're a pediatric audiologist, um, so you probably don't do much in the way of cochlear implants, correct? Or I do, actually. You do? Um, okay. So I do, I work with diagnostics, evaluation, cochlear implant evaluation, counseling of parents, programming, uh, cochlear implants and hearing aids. Um, I, I get a lot of the teenagers or okay. um, often I'll get parents of very, very young ones who need or looking for someone to talk to who's been through it. Yeah. Teenagers come to me saying uh, they feel safe, you know, saying, yeah, sometimes some days I wish my hearing aids or my cochlear implants were invisible. I wish I didn't have to wear it, but then, and when I listen to them or I'm that safe space for them, they'll come to me next appointment and say, 
guess what? I get to turn my ears off whenever I want. You know, I went on a camping trip. I slept soundly. It was fantastic. (laughs) And everybody got a kick out of uh, seeing my alarm clock, my shake awake, um, or using my um, FM system, my remote mic. Or guess what? The teacher didn't even know that I was listening to music via Bluetooth on my hearing aids during class. And I'm like, I did not recommend you do that. (laughs) But (laughs) that's not my problem. Um, So it's, it's wonderful being able to work with all uh, patients of all different ages. I do have some adult patients as well, even though I work at a children's hospital. Um, but yeah, I definitely get to work with them. So um, I'm just so fascinated by this whole topic of cochlear implants. Um, when you, so it sounds like you got fit uh, roughly 10 to 15 years ago. Is that right? Uh, yeah, about. 20, uh, 13 years ago, I got my first cochlear implant. So what's the difference between cochlear implants from 13 years ago and the cochlear implants today? I know Bluetooth is a big theme, yeah, just curious of what you've I've seen been, in terms of what's different. Yeah, I've been through four um, external processors now. Um, I started with the cochlear freedom and that was Pretty basic, three programs, volume control, sensitivity, no Bluetooth, completely on the ear, um, and it was very thick. So processors and technology have gotten smaller. They are, there are um, off-the-ear options now. They've come up with um, waterproof covers for, for us to go either swimming or you know, actively water play or um, for children in the bathtub. Um, the Bluetooth is probably my favorite feature. I can answer the phone, stream to both ears, listening to phone calls, uh, podcasts. Um, I don't listen to many podcasts only just because I I think it's because I've been in speech therapy my whole life. I When I'm listening to something, I want to get every single word. I yeah. can't just have it in the background and and, you know, oh, now they're talking about cochlear implants. Now I want to listen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... Let's see, just parts and pieces have gotten a lot better um, and sound quality with microphones. Yeah, fascinating. I, yeah, uh, um, what you said earlier about the students, um, Bluetooth, you know, streaming music in class, it's like, um, it, it is in a way like, it's kind of crazy the functionality that that you can have with those. And um, in a way, it's almost like a superpower in a sense that, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you can do a lot of things. It's a bionic like extension of your body. Um, so there's a lot of, I, I just find the whole thing fascinating and it does seem like there's been so much progress made on that side of the technology and that side of the industry. Programming all the algorithms too, sound quality, just yeah. incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, so getting back to mama who hears, um, what is your plan for, the foreseeable future. I mean, what, what, what are you really striving for right now? And, um, what's top of mind for you in terms of like goals or, um, what's your mission of, of what you're trying to do right now with your brand? Um, with the brand, I, I started it with the idea that I really want children of all populations, especially those underserved to know that they can accomplish and do anything that they dream of. And it starts with the family education. That's where I created the program. But I share so much on my Instagram. I share personal, I share professional. And um, 
I think, I don't know. I think I'll write some children's books. I'll, I'll write some teen books for teenagers that is that population. I feel like doesn't get as much support. Um, I'd love to create a nonprofit community and a school. Um, if I can, ha- if I can do that, um, where deaf and hard of hearing children have peers or normal hearing peers so that they can interact. So both sides win. The hearing peers understand what an inclusive community or a classroom setting looks like. And those who are deaf and hard of hearing can also experience that too, so that they can raise the level of expectations and standards for the rest of the world. Um, That's awesome. So for hearing professionals out there, um, what can they do um, or, or learn from you in terms of ways that they can be, um, I guess, better champions for the most severe cases of hearing loss that they see. Um, obviously, they can go to your Instagram page and they can learn a lot about all this there. But I guess, you know, particularly for a young hearing professional that's just kind of entering into the industry today. Um, it seems like this is just such a tremendous opportunity is to, you know, really like lean into this and, and make it a part of your overall value is like, it's not just about, um, you know, treating your, uh, I'm not going to come and fit you with hearing aids or technology. Like we're going to treat your hearing loss and everything that that encompasses and, and your total lifestyle, whether that's like we talked about earlier with helping them with, all of the virtual video conferencing that they do and giving them all the tips and tricks they need to be set up for an optimal experience, but it goes way beyond that. So I'm just curious to like, get your thoughts on, you know, you you're standing in front of a a room full of 20 incoming graduates. Like what are some of the things that you would share with them in terms of here's some things to think about as a deaf and hard of hearing, um, hearing professional yourself. It goes back to meeting them where they're at. Um, Being in a healthcare field, our job is to provide space, to provide information, to provide resources for our patients to figure out what it is that's best for them. So get involved with the deaf and hard of hearing community. Try to understand the struggles or the challenges that they that might come up for them. Listen and really um, take a look at what their family dynamics are, different cultures, different, um, you know, parenting styles, different lifestyles for if you're seeing adults. Um, reach out to and communicate or engage with leaders in that community or or people that are having challenges and really take a look at where they're at, not looking at what can be fixed right away or first. Because it's within those details, within those relationships that you really are serving that community. You know, it's not just about, oh, I know that that programming needs fix and that's going to be the solution to it. We're in the business of improving quality of life. Yes. And you know, it's not just one device or one thing. It's very often do they feel seen and heard? Um, so engage with the community that we're serving. 
I absolutely love that we are in the business of improving quality of life. Couldn't agree more with that. And I think that's probably one of the most important things to understand is that the real core value of the hearing professional is just that, like you have to impart your experience in everything that you know about this field to each and every patient in a unique way. And that's how you'll differentiate and you'll stand apart, I think, long into the future, because that's always going to be in demand. I think that as we kind of talked a little bit about when we first started, before we started recording, I said that, you know, um, the theme on this podcast lately has been this whole idea that like, in a sense, hearing health is being commoditized. Mm -hmm. But because of that, because of the commoditization from all these like big box retailers and online players and OTC, everything's very transactional. It's like, come in the door. I'm going to fit something. I'm going to get you fit with something. And then you're going to be on your way. And hopefully I'll never see you again. And so I think that allows for like, you can go the complete opposite direction of that and be like, I'm going to give you the optimal care that will transcend just one single device. It's going to be much more about like what you said, this whole quality of life equation and figure out every piece of your life that we can improve, whether it's communication strategies with your loved ones, the whole, it takes a village mantra, um, or it's, you know, pairing different pieces of technology together for you know, this thing does this really well. And this one is better for your computer. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that there's so much opportunity there, but it, it has to go like way above and beyond just this new norm that seems to be taking hold, which is like, um, you know, come on in and we'll get you fit with a pair of hearing aids and then you'll be on your way. And that's what actually is really encouraging to me is it's like, I think that audiologists and hearing professionals, like broadly speaking, have a really awesome opportunity to set themselves apart in a much more meaningful way. Um, because I think they're now being challenged, broadly speaking, to do so. No, audiologists and hearing healthcare professionals wear so many hats. Yeah. We're a counselor, we're MacGyver, we're researcher, <laughs> we're business people, um, educators, or family members or counselors. And I remember my school's program director telling a story about somebody in hospice. Um, and one of the physicians was kind of balking or, you know, protesting on why the person in in the room was getting you know pocket talkers or why are we trying to sell hearing aids to this family right now um the prognosis isn't that good and the audiologist you know said you know your job is to promote the quantity or the longevity of life you will always fail whereas my job is to promote the quality of life and i hope to always succeed that's, that's pretty interesting with me since school yeah That's absolutely fascinating. Um, I've just really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot from you. Like I said, to everybody who's listening, definitely check Michelle out on Instagram at mama who hears. Um, It's at mama.hu.hears. Any other closing thoughts or or ways in which people can get in touch with you? Um, Just, you know, for, for anybody that wants to follow up. Oh, um. If you're an audiologist, if you have a clinic, reach out to me. I can send you information about the program. I'd love to partner up with you if you're a nonprofit so that we can serve those under um, or underserved populations or graduate students. And thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Michelle. Thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end. And we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Oh.
Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Future Ear Radio. For more content like this, just head over to futureear.co where you can read all the articles that I've been writing these past few years on the worlds of voice technology and hearables and how the two are beginning to intersect. Thanks for tuning in and I'll chat with you next time.